0: Hey, everyone. Welcome. When we pick up the conversation today, we start in the middle of Tim telling the story of when he knew for the first time that he really loved Mary Lee, the woman who would later become his wife. Spoiler alert, it was when he had the faith to give her up to God. Later in the conversation, things get pretty raw for me personally. Tim and I have an exchange in which he gets past my thoughts and opens up my motivations in what I'm saying. He opens up what's going on inside of me as I think about law and gospel and the character of God. I think it'll be helpful to you. But before we begin, let me repeat the words of the Apostle Paul. These words can't just get into our brains, though they need to be there also. They have to get into our hearts by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The purpose of the law is to destroy our self-confidence and show us our sin so that we flee to Jesus Christ. So let's get into the conversation. My guests today are Pastors Max Corral and Tim Bailey. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds Podcast.
1: And I realize all of a sudden that I love Mary Lee that Mm. night and that it's the first time I've ever loved her. Mm. And then I realize why. I realize that it's because I would rather not have her as my wife than for her soul to go to hell. Mm. And that if what is required for Mary Lee to come to God and to be saved is that I lose Mary Lee. That's a wonderful bargain.
0: Mm. And
1: I'm overjoyed to have that loss. Now, let's
0: go back to what you were saying about love and manhood. The image that I I think of is Jacob wrestling with God. Mm. I think that is the Christian faith. And there is no way to do that without receiving intense unalterable pain but that's faith that's faith we wrestle with god with the most the things that we cherish the most with the things that cause us the most pain so, my parents losing three
1: children, right? Mm-hmm. So, la- uh, this last Saturday, I'm going through my files, throwing everything out so I can get out of my office, right? Uh-huh. And I come across this letter from Elizabeth Elliot, who was a family friend, and yep. I maintained a friendship with her after my parents died. Mm-hmm. And so, she sends this letter. Then she types at the bottom of it. The top was a form letter. And she types at the bottom a bunch of stuff. And then she says to me, Uh, I am so sorry to hear of your brother Nathan's death. Well, my brother Nathan got cancer at 40, left behind four little children and died of esophageal cancer. Mm. So she had heard of this and she wrote, I'm so sorry. And then she said this. She says, what is it with you Baileys? (laughs) 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 Which was, I had forgotten she had written that. But wow! <laughs> but how comforting,
0: huh.
1: how comforting! Because Elizabeth Elliot was never cheap.
0: Yeah, she wasn't. She being was cheap never there.
1: cheap, and it reminded me of my parents saying over and over again that they were never as certain of the love of God as when mm-hmm. they walked away from a fresh grave of one of their children. Mm-hmm. And so you think about the spirituality of the law. Either the law
0: kills you or you're not a Christian. Yeah, that's exactly right. And or the, or you've, got some, you've grabbed a hold of some other law. And
1: you, you want to tell him what he says are the two contenders for the other thing you grab onto. Remember at the beginning of the book? No, I don't. He says the two contenders are ritualism mm. and reason. Mm. And he says the reason the person that, that chooses reason just becomes basically a cynic, and he says the ritualist just trusts in sacraments, in repetition,
0: in liturgies. but oh, okay, let's just stop for a second and and open that up, or or let's find examples of, to help people understand those those two categories. Gordon because- Peterson is cynic okay well
1: okay don't say cynic say uh what was stoic
0: i used the word stoic before well
1: but it is the intellect it is i am going to be out there in my mind being truthful if
0: i'm allowed to say um, i think there is there when max talked about the law earlier and it was driving him where it was driving him i was thinking well for some people it does make them cynical bitter jaded postmodern. you know what i mean Go ahead, Max. Well,
2: I don't think I'm not sure Jordan Peterson is on the spectrum. It's Mike, I'm still back at this, Tim, because I think Jordan Peterson, if you think about the cynic or the, what was the other one? I'm gonna find his exact Yeah. The this it was words, the Cynic uh,
1: or a rational. Yes, no, no, it's, it's rationalists and ritual. Ritualists. Rationalists and ritualists. And it's Charles Walker's introduction. Okay. okay.
2: I would say that Roman Catholics are ritualists, Yes, and I would say that John Wesley's plain account of Christian perfection is a rationalism. Hmm. I think those are the examples. I don't think Jordan Peterson qualifies because he's not making any claims for people to being, to being reconciled to God. He's only making claims, I could be wrong, but he's only making claims. Well, but you're making, if you have a law you have to be
0: reconciled to the law this is the, this is why i think this is so applicable to anywhere you could
2: talk about the wokism you could yes, talk about john peterson but here's t- the thing i am in christ yeah and christ is reconciled to the law and therefore i am reconciled to god because god the law is god's character i am reconciled to god's character through jesus christ yeah okay jordan peterson isn't doesn't have an interest in being reconciled to god's character he might have an interest in being reconciled to the law but he i don't think he has any interest in being reconciled to to the holy god he has a reconcile he wants to be reconciled to the law for the sake of society or order right but a roman catholic wants to be reconciled to god and they do so through ritual and a a and John Wesley wants to be reconciled to God, and he does so because he says that he's changed the rules. What he's a, basically changed the law. What about a Muslim? The
0: reason Jordan Peterson is a little complicated because he is, you know, he dances around and is ambiguous about whether or not he believes in God or whatever. So it's like it's it's weird with him. But let's let's take a Muslim. Where would you say he is? I really
1: think that Jordan Peterson is
0: perfectly the rationalist in
1: this book. Okay. I really do, because he refuses to acknowledge the spirituality of the law. He can't teach the spirituality of the law. It's not anything. A red pill guy is going to be happy. Well, happy for him teaching. Mm. You know, it's just going to make a bitter man even more bitter. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll say, well, the the deck's stacked against me spiritually and legally and morally, too, then. Are you saying, you know, in other words, it's it's, Jordan Peterson gives out the truth which keeps his audience. And that truth is that you clean up your room, you work hard, you're a man. Mm -hmm. You know, you do this, 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 and this. But he's not teaching the spirituality of the law. No he can't because that makes you die it kills you well the uh, and you flee to jesus he cannot lead anyone to christ all he can do is kill them and that's exactly what the apostle paul speaks of the law doing
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and and so i want to go on and say the great message of this book is to carefully show the distinction between infusion and imputation infusion is always about giving you hope that you can improve and merit salvation mm. that's infusion that's the roman catholic church that's why there's seven sacraments that's why they have you work the system that's why when you talk to a roman catholic he'll never say he's a christian i used to as a young kid living among roman catholic are you a christian they'd say well i'm a practicing catholic Hmm. see practicing present participle yeah and if you read the reformers they're constantly attacking the fact that the roman catholic church says nobody should be presumptuous with their salvation why well they want to keep you working at it because that conduces to the mercantile aspects Hmm. of faith in roman catholicism there's Hmm. a reason why all the treasures of christendom are in the vatican (laughs) okay i mean You know, people that write books about building a a cathedral have forgotten a lot of the history of the Protestantism, (laughs) if you don't mind me saying so, right? (laughs) And so what we have to realize is imputation takes a dead man Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. says, yes, you are dead. And now you are seated high on a rock. He has reached down and plucked you out of the pit you're sunk in. And now you're standing in the foreign, alien, free righteousness of Jesus Christ, mm. and so in the Old Testament, the you know the law, even your observance of Yom Kippur, even the Day of Atonement, is actually not a matter of God freely forgiving, but it's a matter of you working the system
0: mm.
1: of you know the sacrifice. In such a way that God sees that you're looking to him for forgiveness, Mm. and that looking to him merits his forgiveness because that is keeping the law. Mm -hmm. And that really is where most evangelicals are. Most evangelicals trust more in their sinner's prayer and their faith than they trust in Jesus, Mm. because most evangelicals think they're pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm. Did Paul think he was pretty good? At the end of his life, he's the chief of sinners. Did Peter think he was pretty good when Jesus says, do you love me?
0: Mm. No. (laughs) He did not.
1: I really think that so much of our problem is that as pastors, we don't believe in the vicarious substitutionary atonement. We don't believe in justification. And so we will not preach original sin the fall depravity to our people because it would make us hopeless Mm. and we don't want to make them hopeless yeah but it's the only path you read what edward says about revival and he says you have to preach the fall and so we also don't want to receive confessions of sin
0: because they just I, i think that again though um i just want to say to whoever's listening to this there is a, a kind of temptation that comes when the law when you actually encounter the law for the first time and as a evangel if you've grown up in evangelicalism <laughs> you've been like protected from it for so long In in our culture um you, you've been protected from it that when someone comes with a law it's like they they're they're there they can carry you away almost
1: well, that's because of the unbearable lightness of evangelicalism. Exactly. They've yes. eviscerated every precious doctrine of scripture and every law of any content. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always means less than you thought it did. Yep. Okay. It's like yep. Woody Allen's approach to life. You know, every movie r- removes more meaning from anything <laughs> that is glorious. Hmm.
0: And so, so people are hungry for
1: that. Yeah, substance. they're hungry for truth. Yeah, and if your truth is only the nature of manhood, the nature of truth, the nature of of rejecting theft, you know, the, the nature of law, of freedom, the. Na- So,
0: so, uh, you know, I have, again, thinking in categories of law and gospel, I just think is very helpful. We should do it all the time because you think of the Supreme Court releasing a draft opinion Mm -hmm. of, of this abortion ruling and all of a sudden the law gets dumped on the the United States of America, a place that has been lawless Mm -hmm. for 50 years it's like what do you think is going to happen you know there's going to be a response and what we're seeing in a lot of ways uh, is the the precise purpose as paul says is the effect of the law is to bring an end bring you to an end of yourself people have to they're having the good effect of the law bear down upon them through this ruling And so what should be the response of a Christian? This is something as a dad, you're tempted to shy away from with your kids. Like, I don't want to see my kids in pain. I don't want to see them suffering. And yet what God has ordained is that salvation lies through faith, which means coming to an utter end of yourself and your own righteousness, coming to realize that you yourself have killed your own child and having to realize that the only hope that you have is to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. This last Christ. Sunday I preached on uh, motherhood and Elizabeth
1: and Mary greeting each other and it says that uh, what it actually says is that the child jesus was conceived in the womb of mary will be conceived future tense and we see from scripture that it was just a matter of a couple of days before she arrived at at elizabeth's house and her child and her caused john the baptist in the womb to jump for joy hmm. okay she says under the inspirational and so you take all of that and you realize that so much all the hormonal birth control has a A significant agency right in those first few days of pregnancy when Mm -hmm. Jesus had been conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, and so I I talked about the necessity of us repenting of our participation in hormonal birth control. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, in our church, there are any number of people there who have used hormonal birth control and now are aware of the fact that they could have killed a child who was the exact same age as Jesus was when John the Baptist leaped in the womb, Mm, okay? Wow. Afterwards, a man who is of some age in our church Mm -hmm. and is a man came up to me with tears in his eyes and he said, I wish I had heard that years ago. Mm. And tears just fell out of his eyes. I don't know... Uh, Maybe I've seen tears in his eyes before, I don't know. (laughs) Now, did I abuse him by my preaching? Mm. I knew as I was preaching that there were many people who were listening both online and there Mm. who felt that I was unhinged, Mm. okay? But do we believe in justification? by faith alone, in Christ alone, do we? And if we do, how can it ever be wrong to call people to cry out to Jesus, Son of God, have mercy upon me? Mm -hmm. How can that be wrong? How can it be that we've gotten to the point where a minister of the word and sacrament is supposed to, his main job is to to make people hopeful about their own possibilities. <laughs> well, yeah, right. And it's not that you're a masochist or a sadist. And remember any sadist in the pulpit is a masochist because he's going to pay, <laughs> 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 you know, but I mean, you know, is it really so bad for us to reach another level of understanding how much we need Jesus? Mm-hmm. Must we always say, Well, I went to church and got beaten up. Oh poor you, you got beaten up. Who beat you up? Oh, the pastor beat me up. How'd the pastor beat you up? Well, he beat me up by but he he said that I and and you know that, that that's <laughs> not necessarily true, you know, and I just don't appreciate going to church and being made to feel bad. Yeah. And that really is what pastors who try somehow to proclaim the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, that's what they get all the time. Well, now I was going to say, if you ever stick your head, you know, it's like (laughs) whack-a-mole. you ever stick your head up and try to proclaim the law. Mm Mm-hmm. And the necessity of the blood of Jesus Christ without removing the law and proclaiming the necessity and glory and grace and mm-hmm. all this other stuff, you know. All the talk about grace today is, has had the doctrine of justification eviscerated from it because there's no need for the grace. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, you, you've been asking the question. Let me ask you one. Ha, yes. So why do you think you're a Pharisee? Because that's the central reason we're doing this podcast.
0: When I go down the path of studying Jews and what they think, I, I come to realize, wait a minute, they have the Old Testament and they've, they've read the Old Testament and they know it better, a lot of them, than I do. You know, they know the words. And so then I think, okay, well, what is different and, oh and, and the the hammering the hammering of law law and how appealing it is to me to me uh to hear th- the drumbeat of the law and uh, the order of it the glory and and even you know you read the 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 psalms uh, David just glories in the law psalm 119 and the wonder of the law and re- and i I live in this day and age and I think of the woke crowd Mm -hmm. and them burning we were talking before the podcast about whether or not they're going to burn everything down this summer like they did a couple summers ago and the lawlessness of that and i just i just it's like the law oh man yes give me the law that's what i want and then a little birdie you know a little thing in the back of my mind thinks okay wait a second wait a minute (laughs) you know even talking about and, and all these things that are um That are so Christian, like the need for repentance, the need for alms. Again, this makes my in my context, I grew up in West and Central Africa. So I literally walked past a mosque to going to school every day when I was in the Ivory Coast. And so I had a lot of friends who were Muslim. And so, you know, the things that he lists that the Pharisees were very careful to require of their people the things that would be required of a Muslim, you know, going to services, you know, performing the services. And I just think, whoa, so wait a second, wait a minute, what is different? Why, what is the disconnect here? And it's faith. It's that you, when you wrestle with God, you are destroyed. You're, you're, there is nothing left except total faith total submission total There, there is no hope apart from god rescuing us and you know you could say someone could say well uh does that require jesus christ though does it require because is you know the muslim would say why would that require jesus christ because god god is you know they say it all the time: the most merciful, the most beneficent, or whatever, of Allah. Why can't God just be merciful? By fiat. Be merciful by fiat. Mm. And I'd love to hear what you answer to that question. But what I would say is because that's not God's character. Uh, what we see in Scripture is that God is holy. he's, he's completely. He is love and he is righteousness, he is holiness, he is justice, all of those things combined. And there is, there is a mystery to how all those things work together. But God, in his goodness, sent his son to die for us on the cross. That is our hope. That is it. Um, and so the, the whole line of reasoning comes back to Jesus Christ.
1: Well, yeah, of course, because you're paid to be a pastor.
0: <laughs> That's a very good pushback. And that,
1: of course, is always what is going on in your brain. I'm wondering what you would say, David.
2: Well, I was going to go in the direction of, is Lucas a Pharisee? And I was thinking, well, am I a Pharisee? And certainly, I am a Pharisee. Because what you call wrestling with God is just me coming to the realization again, and that is in itself a gift of God, me coming to the realization again that I really don't have anything good. But the fact that I contemplate and entertain the idea that I have something good is pharisaical that's the essence of their lives that they believed that they had it that they were clean that they that they that they were uh that they had something to present to god that was good that was acceptable thank you god that i'm not like that guy but i am the, that, that i am this guy right and so we 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 wrestle when we find when we when we're thinking about mm-hmm. that it is god's mercy to know his law and to know his law at its at its heart in his character and to know that we fall short of it and to know that we continually fall short of it and that we have absolutely no hope if god doesn't intervene in some way and do something for us and the only way we have hope is that god himself provided someone who Mm -hmm. fulfilled all of the righteousness and then he said, you can actually be in him. I will put you in him. And then you, he, he, is, he is your ark of refuge. He is the one that carries you. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Max. And, you know,
1: the ministry, being a pastor, is never cerebral. It's always personal. Mm-hmm. And so I know you. Yep. Max knows you Max and I know you intimately yeah <laughs> yep and what we know about you is that you have a real compassionate heart and an extremely tender conscience and you love people now there are many people who would say that they haven't seen you love people but that's because they don't know they don't know you the way we do we do know you okay mm-hmm. you love people and so, From the very beginning of our relationship or near the beginning, what has been obvious to me is that your love for people causes you to question God's dispensations towards them. Mm -hmm. Okay? And it's hard for you to accept his sovereignty with people you love. That's always been true of you. And it's true of all of us, you know, when it mm-hmm. comes to family members, people we love. Yep. And furthermore, that you judge yourself harshly and other people sympathetically. That's mm-hmm. another character trait. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to this issue of you having a tender conscience, can we please mention the fact that you loved Bob Kapowitz
0: and cared for him for how many years? I was in his home for five and a half years.
1: Yeah, but you were his house manager for how long? Yeah,
0: so so I moved in in two thousand and three, and there were a few breaks in there, but you know, fifteen to twenty years, I've okay. had a relationship and helped care for him. And did you love him? I did very much love him. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And who was at his bedside
0: as he died? I was there shortly after he died. No, I'm
1: talking about all that oh, time yeah, leading yeah, up sp- to his death. Yeah, leading up to it. I spent and a lot of time And who was there. one of the other men that was most present?
0: Uh, well, Daniel Froman. Yeah. And is
1: Daniel Froman a Gentile?
0: He's also a Jew. Okay. Yeah.
1: Do you love Daniel Froman? I do. What did Bob always pray about? What he- did he ask you to
0: pray for? Yeah, he was very tender about his father and and he did multiple times write his father letters that were just I mean you just oh the the love and the desire of a son to love his father in a way that that would cost him everything potentially was amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing it up because this, other than your parents and your children and your wife, this is the most important relationship of your life for the last two decades, is Bob. Mm-hmm. Name another one. Me? No. I
0: mean, family. Oh,
1: I, I would, no, I would no, put no, you no, in there. <laughs> no. Yeah, I know, but I said family.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. If you take And family so, out, of yeah.
1: course, your heart is tuned to be merciful to Jews. Mm-hmm. And to question why God would not accept the righteousness of a conscientious Old Testament Jew. Right, yeah, that's right. Now, having said all that, Mm -hmm. let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Bob's family, do they accept the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah? They do not. How could you not accept the prophecy he was despised and rejected of men, a man of many sorrows? And we hid, as it were, our faces. He was despised and rejected of men, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. Mm-hmm. How can someone of good conscience look at Jesus Christ Mm-hmm. Read Isaiah 53. How does that work? How does it work that you reject Isaiah 53? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of his all. Mm-hmm. How do you reject that?
0: I mean, I think there's a lot of answers to that, but I think it fundamentally comes down to... Um, Pride. I mean, yeah. it yeah. comes down to pride because I think there is the the pride of rejecting a foreign righteousness. You you wanting to have your own righteousness. I think that's always there. But there's also a kind of pride, and I think I think of the um, maybe the Muslim in this context as well of simply s- straight up rejecting what God has said, and you can't just skip over that. It's not simply an intellectual quibble. You remember my story about
1: the Muslims in Hyde Park mm-hmm. <clears throat> at Speaker's Corner, and they mocked me for being a Christian, and they said, you serve a God who is weak. Mm-hmm. He could not even keep himself from being killed. So there's your, there is the Muslim. Mm-hmm. There is your Islam they will say that God is not a father, that they do not believe that God is a father. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, no, I don't
0: know. I mean, it's...
1: Is the fatherhood of God synchronous with Islam?
0: In the Old Testament, it's amazing. In the Psalms, it's incredible that there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Mm -hmm. Amazing, amazing. This... The tenderness of god of god the the discipline the love it's all there together and with islam i think chesterton put it very well i don't remember his precise words but you have a a grand vizier up on the mountaintop you know he's far and lifted up and there's just not you don't have he's not your father he's not your father it's not mm. it's it's definitely law
1: and then this is never supposed to be done, but now
0: let's look at the Jew. What well, would we say about the Jew? I mean, okay, I, I in this culture it's clear a lot of them have gone off into the cynicism. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the Woody Allen. I mm-hmm. Hollywood like that's abortion rights, all that stuff. Cynical, um, rationalists, rationalists, yeah, brilliant.
1: And often the speakers of truths that must not be spoken.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They're the, the great transgressors of intellectual propriety. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't entirely surprising that Bernard Nathanson, the Jew, the atheist, was mm-hmm. the one who went into the pages of the New England Journal of Medicine and said, I have come to believe I have presided over the killing of 70,000 unborn children.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely rocked the world of medicine in the Western world. And so Nat Hentoff, you know, the great um, essayist or journalist at Village Voice and member of the board of ACLU in New York City, preeminent jazz scholar, Mm -hmm. came out to UW-Madison to speak on against abortion. He was the guy that wrote the great, great uh, essays against infanticide.
0: Hmm.
1: and he said that, you know, he's at the Village Voice, Greenwich Village, <laughs> you know, he's like university loved by everybody, but he just gets it stuck in his craw that you shouldn't kill newborn children. <laughs> you know, some some yeah. obsession of his, yeah, some right. moral obsession. Hmm. And he says that all his liberal friends came to him, and, uh, you know, Sotovace, you know, with quiet voice, they said to him, Nat, what, what is this deal about you and a phantosite? And he said, well, you know, I just don't think that, you know, I just don't think that they should be killed. And he said that several of them, when he said that, they said to him, well, Nat, just think of it as a late-term abortion. Hmm. And he said, that's when I became pro-life. And I asked him, I said, uh, as an atheist, why are you pro-life? You know, it seems like if you're an atheist, you know, and he said, life. He said, that's all an atheist has, life. Hmm. And so you think of that kind of piercing.
0: Well, but the it's interesting. He ended up with somehow a hopeful response uh, that said, I should try to grab a hold of life. For many, go down the nihilistic route with a hopelessness
1: yeah and then <clears throat> you've got the orthodox jews which is a whole different ballgame they're really the modern inheritors of the pharisees right? right right but my point is to say that neither in islam nor in judaism mm-hmm. whether you're talking about religious or secular judaism do you find mercy that's my point
0: it's, it's, it is it's very interesting in this book on Jewishness. Um, you know, he states specifically, you're not required to forgive your enemies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are certain things you're just, uh, there's no requirement to forgive somebody for X, Y, or Z. And, and,
1: and so now I want to say something I've been wanting to get to for 45 minutes. Is <laughs> the three of us who are pastors of Trinity Reform. As we look at the church and as we preach, all yeah. of us, yeah. may I ask, who is it, no, don't name names, yep. but who is it in our church that gives us faith to preach? Describe the character of those specific individuals in our church that give us faith to preach.
2: What would you say, Max? I would say people who have raised the white flag and said, it's me, it's me, it's my fault. I am the man. I know. And oh. that's, and, uh, because that's all we're ever saying. Well, so, but that we, so that they will see.
0: Not only have they raised the white flag, but they do it and have joy in their face yeah, somehow. Yeah. Because, because you can they're... raise the right raise flag and be bitter and angry and <laughs> yeah, cynical. <that's> me. <laughs> <laughs> well,. No, I mean, the, the, again, the response to the law can drive you to just hate everything. <laughs> but instead, they go to God, not as a harsh taskmaster, but as a father who will heal them of, of their infirmity.
1: This last Sunday in that difficult sermon, Yeah. afterwards, I went up to a husband. I said, would you please tell your wife that she was my (laughs) lifesaver during that sermon? I kept looking at her, and she kept telling me through her eyes and face, preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. Yes, preach it, brother. Mm -hmm. Now, do you know who that was? No. You want to (laughs) guess?
2: Are we supposed to say it on the air? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. If you know the name, say it on the air. It's not going to hurt her one bit. I I have no idea who it was. Was Katie
2: Walker? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And you think about the suffering that she's gone mm-hmm. through, and you think she was just over in Germany with her husband, saying goodbye <sighs> to her husband's mother who's dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. You just think of all the suffering she's had in her family, Mm. in her background, physically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, of course, it's Katie that helps us to Mm -hmm. preach because she has cast herself through the furnace of affliction wholly on God.
0: Mm.
1: And there ain't no ounce of pride in her. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And she's meek and she's sincere and she's, you know? And so why do I bring this up? Well, this is the gospel. The gospel is being hopeless about yourself and having every bit of hope fixed on Christ. Mm. And those are the people that give us the faith to be something of the pastors we should be, something of the preachers we should be. They're the ones that give us joy in our congregation. And, you know, we could get more specific about a number of names. I would say the names are disproportionately female. I may be wrong. That's how I feel about it Sunday mornings. If I were going to talk about the people that have consistently given me faith to preach Mm. what I should be and do instead of what I want to do, I would say that a very high percentage of them are women. Now you guys are looking at me like I'm wacko, but I don't know that's, to me it's such a visible illustration of justification
2: by faith alone. Mm-hmm. It's not ritualistic. Mm-hmm. It's not rational. I agree with you that, yes, women are going to give you more with their faces. That, in part, maybe is because they're women.
1: No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. I am not saying they give me more with their faces. What I said was she did Sunday. Yeah. I'm not talking about expressions at all. I'm talking about looking at character. Mm. Oh, I didn't understand Seeing the character of these women and the years that they have been godly in very painful ways, okay? So, no, it's not looks at all. It's my knowledge of their presence and desire for me to feed them. Mm. And their – does that make sense to you, David?
2: Yeah, it does. It does sort of. I just – I'm sitting here thinking about why that would be because it's not because men are incapable of living with that kind of understanding of themselves and gratitude toward God. And so I'm just wondering what it is, why is it that you're saying that women have more, give more of that to you while you're preaching? Well, don't you think that
1: Erasmus was right at the end of, praise, praise of in Praise of Folly when he said that, he's talking about how simpletons are closest to the cross of Christ, and then at the very end he says, this is why women, simpletons, and the young are always closest to the cross of Christ. And it's not the superiority of the female of the species, that's not the issue, but the issue is, imagine the power of Mary with jesus and her love and adoring of him mm-hmm. on the heart inspiring us there's something about a woman in all the strength of femininity and motherhood that when she casts herself on christ it has a power over us i think that well i think it's I mean, sex specific well, go ahead
0: if, i mean jesus talked about faith like a child I think that there is a kind of vulnerability and dependence that a woman has. That's
2: well, the where my mind was going when you started this Mm a few minutes ago was by her, by the very demonstration of her sex, she is representative in marriage, she's representative of the wife, the bride. Mm. And in the church, the church is the bride. Mm -hmm. And when you look at a woman who is living out, that side of the equation with her very life, and you see a woman in the church, you see the bride in a way that makes it more obvious to you than, you know, you started talking about the women in Jesus' life, and I thought of the woman who was wiping his feet with her hair, Mm -hmm. those who have been forgiven much, but then I thought, well, Zacchaeus was forgiven much. How he expressed it was interesting. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, and there were there were many people who were forgiven much, but men mm-hmm. express it in ways that are different than women express it. He, Jesus didn't expect that Simon would have washed his feet with his hair. Mm-hmm. First mm-hmm. of all, he might have had really short hair, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like being washed with a, a Br- Brillo pad. But the fact is that Jesus then rebuked him and said, you didn't even love me enough to wash my feet at all. You didn't offer me the cleansing of my feet when I came into my house. You didn't even, you know, kissing me. You didn't kiss me. Mm -hmm. And she's never stopped kissing me, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not, I don't think that he would have ever probably expressed his love that way to Jesus, like the woman did, because she was able to, because of her sex in a way with liberty that, Mm. Maybe he, that Simon would not have had. I'm not sure, but that's what I was thinking of when you brought it up. Can I just say what I'm trying to get
1: at and is so important to me is for us as pastors to say that those people in our churches, in our flocks, Mm -hmm. who most understand justification,
0: Mm.
1: who most understand the spirituality of the law. Yeah, Are the ones that give us the strength and courage and faith to preach. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that give us the faith to be faithful in our hard callings. And I want to register that because they are the capital.
0: The ones who have actually gone to the mat. And I'm not saying
1: the others haven't. Right. But there are certain people in every church that the level of their faith the absence of pride, the presence of meekness and humility, the good nature of their faith and love for Jesus.
0: The weightiness of it.
1: Yeah, and it never is the ones that are cheap, charismatic, who yeah, gush.
0: Yeah.
1: There's tons of that, and it doesn't help us one bit. So I want to call out mm-hmm. to all of you who know the spirituality of the law and have been slain by it and have suffered as you have come to Christ and have truly repented that this is such a gift to your pastor, your elders, give it, strengthen them with your doctrine of justification. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's,
0: well, I want to sum up and I was trying to think about how to do that. Exactly. We're going to try by me reading a quote that I saw on Twitter from our friend Elon Musk. You know, Donald Trump has gone from Twitter, which is a shame. But we have Elon still, like former President Trump. Elon is also godless. And he recently tweeted, I'm okay with going to hell if that is indeed my destination, since the vast majority of all humans ever born will be there. Now, there's a lot to talk about in this, and I'm not trying to spend... A lot of time on this but what i what i want to point out in this is that behind this statement you know he's he's being very careless and casual about talking about hell which is a very foolish thing to do obviously but behind it is a view of the law and this is my point in in, in wrapping things up here we all there is always a law your mom has a law for you your dad has a law for you the pastor you know the President Elon Musk has a law that he believes he is keeping, okay, and he apparently believes because of his casual talk about hell or whatever he thinks very he thinks that he's making it, you know he thinks that he's making it he's he's achieving his law uh, whatever law he believes in, but everybody has a law that is on on them this is why uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in Romans that we're without excuse. We're without excuse.
2: Thank you. Thank Because what's known about God is is clearly seen in that which He has made. Mm-hmm. So and that men too, are without there excuse. there is none
1: righteous, no, not one.
2: That's right.
0: So there's always a law. Keep your eye out for that. But then, what is the hope of salvation? If there's a law, then what is your hope for for that law? and for a christian that hope is not uh, as Tim has hammered in this episode it's not infusion where it's not a mixture of your righteousness and god's righteousness it is the foreign righteousness of jesus christ and there is and and there's no other hope and so we love jesus mhm he is
1: our king of righteousness he is And we're going to wax, as Max says, elephant. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. I remember in college going to my friend who was not a Christian who had been saying some things that were derogatory or dismissive about Jesus. And with tears in my eyes saying, don't talk like that about Jesus, please, because I love Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like a confrontation. I just I felt totally compelled to say it. Because I just, I loved Jesus. Because I had come to an end of myself. I I had realized that the law, I thought as a good Christian kid, I was good at keeping. I was not at all good at keeping. Mm -hmm. And that Jesus loved me. It was amazing. Behold the Lamb of God. Amen. Who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. So I'm going to say about Elon Musk. Okay, okay.
1: When you read that quote, it's like he is giving the finger to god that's right he's giving the finger to god he is saying i am a better judge of morality than you are
0: that's right he has his own law that he thinks is superior to god's law
1: which results in most people going to hell makes you a monster that's Mm -hmm. that's the subtext Yep, and that's what you'd expect from musk he has very strict morality that's where the whole battery car mm. thing comes from. It's where, you know, he, he is going to show the sustainability of the human race through creativity and
0: scientific industriousness. There's always law and gospel. Elon Musk's good news is that we can rescue the world from destruction through ingenuity and hard work. But it's a lie, and Elon Musk is a wuss. God is the one with whom we have to do. And you can judge God all you want, but in the end, He's the one who will do the judging. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. The most fitting way I can think of to end this episode is to read Psalm 130. So here it is Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord." For with the Lord there is lovingkindness, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Correll. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.